going to read Colossians 3, verses 18 to 25. Colossians 3, verses 18 to 25. Let's begin by doing that now. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm doing something today that I've never done before. This is a first This is the first time in my ministry career that I've ever preached a sermon about Labor Day on Labor Day weekend. I've preached for many years and Memorial Days and Labor Days and Father's Days and Mother's Days have come and gone and I failed to say anything relevant in the sermon about them. Not always, but quite frequently. It would occur to me at the last minute on Sunday morning on the weekend of a holiday that this was probably not a good day to continue the series. (laughs) And so I'm a slow learner, and after 20 years, I finally figured out that it's probably time to start doing something special on the holiday weekends so that I can act like I understand what normal people do on holiday weekends. I used to be normal once. I had a job, and I worked for a living, like you. And... uh, then it changed, and one of the first things that changed was my version of a holiday weekend is different from yours. But I finally figured out that I should probably try to talk about labor on Labor Day weekend. And so I begin by sharing this quote from our Andrew Carnegie. The average person puts only 25% of his energy and his ability into his work. The world takes off its hat to those who put more than 50% of their capacity and stands on its head for the few and far between souls who devote 100%. And I don't know that Andrew Carnegie was a particularly devout Christian, but uh, there is a sort of relevance to what he just said in this quote and the passage that we read. And I'm going to try to bring it all together for you in some way or another. First, I want to come back to that passage that I just shared with you because it's a dangerous passage. I I will venture to guess that at least a few of you cringed when the first thing you heard me read was, wives, submit to your husbands, and so forth. And then you didn't like that word slaves one bit either, I'm sure. And the truth is, is that translating the Bible is a tricky business anyway, and I could give you a long speech about how we got the versions of the Bible that we read commonly, but rest assured that what the Apostle Paul meant to say, the heart of his message isn't that hard to interpret here. 
He is speaking in the context of his times, but it's easy for us to bring it up to our current sort of context without betraying the heart of its meaning. And so I want to come back to that passage before I go any further and read it to you again from Eugene Peterson's The Message Translation, which I think very beautifully crafts the words of Paul in a way that Paul would approve of for our times. I think you find that the scripture is still saying what it really means, even though it feels more like the way we would say it now. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. Husbands, go out all out to love your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Children, do what your parents tell you. This delights the master no end. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you will crush their spirits. Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. And don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God. Confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. And I like Peterson's translation better. It gets to the heart of the matter, which is, is that on this Labor Day weekend, when we think about the benefit of hard work and the process that hard work uh, sort of contributes to our greater well-being as a society. You know, when we think about it in these terms, what the apostle is telling us is do it as for the Lord. Whatever it is you do, do it as for the Lord. And there's the real emphasis of this passage. If you're a, if you're a mother, full-time homemaker, if you're a, a, a devoted wife, then do it as for the Lord. If you're a husband devoted to your wife and to your family, then do it as for the Lord. If you're a servant, and I think it's important for us to realize that when the scripture speaks of servants, we could very easily and accurately interchange the word with employee. We could say employee where it says servant. And I'll illustrate what I mean in a minute. But when we hear this, what we hear repeatedly is, as for the Lord. You know, I like watching those shows on, on the PBS, you know, about uh, people who find things in their attic or whatever, and they get them appraised, you know, like Antiques Roadshow. And, and you know, one of the things I've noticed is somebody always shows up every time on, on that show with something marked Tiffany, right? And, and if you know anything about this stuff, you know that Tiffany is really good stuff. And the, the gist of it is, is that Mr. Tiffany himself did not necessarily make every piece, but if it's got Tiffany's name on it, then it matches Tiffany's standards of excellence. And so in the same way, we can view our work, whatever our work, as for the Lord, meaning that ours should be a work that has the mark of the master on it. So that when people see us at work, they witness the work approved by our master, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that's what it means when we say to do whatever it is you do as for the Lord. 
I really have something very personal to share with you. And up until this morning, I haven't shared this with anybody publicly and not in, really not even privately. But, but I can tell you quite honestly that when I was a young man, I approached work as something that was a necessary evil. Uh, I was selfish in my service to the people I worked for. I, I just saw it as a means to an end. I needed a paycheck, and they were willing to give me one if I just show up. I mean, that's sort of how I approached it. I was foolish, and I was immature, and I, I didn't think of my work as being part of something bigger than myself. I simply saw it as a way to put in some time and get some money for it so I could do what I really wanted to do. And to that end, I remember staying up late on Monday night, or Sunday night rather, just to put off Monday morning that much longer. I mean, that's how much I enjoyed going to work. And it wasn't that I was lazy, I just, I just, my heart wasn't in it. And I remember that uh, there would be times when the boss would even say, you know, Sinkhorn, I just, I, I see all this potential in you, but I just don't think you care that much. And I have to admit that I didn't. And I'm ashamed of that now, but I've learned my lesson. I learned it a long time ago, thankfully, and I don't live that way anymore. But in those days, even though I worked in an industry where people weren't particularly articulate, where most of the things we talked about were involved a lot of four-letter words, you know, and I worked in an industry where people weren't particularly nurturing, where they didn't go out of their way to say, I'm trying to help you develop into an excellent human being so that you can serve the world and help make me uh, successful so that I can serve the world. And, you know, they didn't talk that way. They said, you're here to do what I ask you to do so that together we can make this business thrive. And if my business thrives, you'll get rewarded. And that ought to be enough. I mean, that's what I heard, and that's basically how it was. And even though I was a Christian in those days, I didn't work as for the Lord. My attitude betrayed my faith in a lot of ways. Now, I was a little bit like the person who saw the, there were these birds, you know, at a certain amusement park, these exotic birds that they put roller skates on them, right? And, and it was really cute to watch these birds skitter around on these roller skates, but the truth is their heart wasn't in it either. You know, it's just not something birds do with any particular joy. Now, if you let them fly and sing, you get to see the fullness of what they're capable of. But for now, I have to acknowledge that if I was ever going to fly or sing, I was going to have to learn to roll around on those skates for a while and do what the masters of my life told me. And it was a hard lesson for me to learn, but I'm glad I learned it. Because serving Christ requires first submission. You can't really be a servant of Christ until you submit, until you surrender, until you're willing to be a slave to the Master, Lord Jesus. Because our whole salvation depends on our being willing to admit that we can't save ourselves. The gist of the whole getting saved and becoming a Christian thing is you can't save yourself. And until you really honestly and humbly admit that, then you really can't submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
And so once I realized that I had to learn the discipline of submission, I became a better servant of Christ. There's an example that Jesus gives that I really love, and, and rather than, than read it to you, I want to give you my personal version of it, my paraphrase. There's a story you've heard probably from the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew about the good and faithful servant. Here's my version of it. A certain employer had worked very hard over a series of decades to build a business that became prosperous and beneficial in the community, and he had become very wealthy. And this employer was ready to leave on an extended business trip, and in this decision to leave, he had appointed three people in his staff to take care of things in his absence. One was given a certain project to oversee, another was given a certain division to oversee, and another one was given charge in the employer's absence. And while he was gone, the guy who was in charge of the whole organization worked very hard to grow the master's business to the extent that the employer's business prospered significantly in his absence. And the second person carried the division to places it had never been before, and this division became a shining star within the organization. But the third person, he thought that the master, the employer, had enough that it was clear that he was quite wealthy and quite successful and didn't really seem to do anything to generate the income that he benefited from. And so this person's attitude was kind of bitter. And this person just figured, you know, while he's gone, I'll do my job. I'll show up, punch the clock at eight, punch out at five, not a minute later. And when he comes back, he'll find that I did what I was expected to do. Well, when the employer came back, of course, first thing he noticed was the person he left in charge had taken very good thing, care of things, and the business had prospered under this uh, person's leadership in the absence of the employer and the master, and, and he noticed right away that the second person had taken that division to a whole new level that no one really expected, and he noticed that the third guy had just showed up. And so he looked to the first two and he said, well done, you guys are awesome, you rocked this while I was gone. But the third guy said, you know, you just showed up. Your heart wasn't in it, I don't even think you're all that concerned and you wanna give me some explanation? And the guy said, well look, you and I both know that you've got a nice place, nice cars, you got a big company and a big paycheck and you dress well and you, you seem like you're doing just fine and I didn't think you needed me to help you get richer. So I just did my job. What's your problem? And the master said, yeah, I guess you're right. So why don't you go do a job for somebody else? I'm done with you, you're fired. Then he turned to the other two employers and he, or to the other two employees and he said, guys, you have been so good in my absence that I'd like to leave you two in charge of this business because I've been working on another venture while I was away and I can really, really work hard to grow that. And uh, by the way, let me tell you about our new profit sharing program. You guys rock. Now that's my version of Jesus' story of the good and faithful servant. And it really comes down to the fact that work for the Lord, as for the Lord, is an expression of 
commitment to something bigger than yourself. And when you recognize that in the economy of God, being committed to the Lord's purposes and to bigger things than yourself is a very natural thing. And so it shouldn't be surprised that it's naturally expressed in our workplace as well. And so whether our work is to raising of our families and the betterment of our community through raising godly children, and whether it's our work to do the, the studies that we have at school, or whether it's our work to join with our employers and whatever their enterprise is, if we do it as for the Lord, we understand that doing it as for the Lord is to change the world. Now, you've heard me say repeatedly in the last several weeks that my goal is that we would be disciples, seek disciples, and change the world. And if you were wondering how we change the world, the answer is very simple. If you're being disciples and seeking disciples and you go back to your place of work and you do it as for the Lord, and I don't mean you try to evangelize them all and convert them, you just work like you understand that you're honoring of Christ and your participation in the enterprise that you've been invited into honors God. When you recognize that when you help your employer succeed, you are honoring Christ. Now we can all agree that some enterprises are less ethical and honorable than others, and I'm hoping as Christians we know the difference when we're confronted with it. If I could go back and do over again what I did poorly in my youth, I'm sure there are still going to be some places in those enterprises where I would have had to say, no, I can't do that. And there would have been certain ways of communicating that I would have rejected. But in the end, helping my boss succeed at whatever my boss was doing was making the world better. Because people were employed, because problems were being solved, because in every industry, a paycheck is a reward that you give someone who's given you something of value to them. And if you help your customers solve their problems and they pay you, that is a certificate of appreciation for helping them solve their problem. Money, after all, and work or labor are spiritual things. They're not material things. There is no big bucket of money somewhere where everybody gets a little bit for themselves. It's the truth is, is money emerges as a result of enterprise, as a result of effort and commitment. And so when we celebrate labor as Christians, as Bible believers, we need to recognize that money is a spiritual matter. And our use of it and our receiving of it is all spiritual. We pay more for things that seem worth more to us. And we pay less for things that don't seem as valuable to us. And so just like the employer in our story, the good servants would be rewarded generously for their good work, and the poor servant will not be rewarded generously. In fact, that one may even lose the little that they were getting. And so having a commitment to doing your work as for the Lord means to do it in the imitation of the Lord, and that means as servants. And so we're back to that whole employee-servant interchange again. Well, Jesus, who is the king of all creation, master of everything that is, demonstrated through his life, servant leadership. He had the authority to command the storm to be still, but he took off his outer garment one night and washed people's feet. 
As we get ready to go to the Lord's table, I want you to keep in mind that image as I read these words of prose from Raymond Foss. They were all at the table, sharing the Passover dinner, all set apart, sitting with the Master, sharing the ancient words, the remembrance of the deliverance, the saving by the Creator, the people being passed over by the blood of the lambs. All sitting at the table, the disciples, the betrayer too, all sharing the grace of Christ and the foot washing, his servanthood, his lessons, and in the meal. The recasting of the ancient words, a new covenant with new people, his body, his blood, to be rent, to be poured out, sharing all of them at the table in the supper we share, the meal sanctified at your altar. The table you have prepared, all of us at the table, just as we are. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Now bless us, burn it upon our hearts, and let it change our nature. Let us truly go back from this break from labor to do our labors as for the Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen.